Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, In case you didn't notice, I'm not Jason. Uh, For those of you who are visiting with us, Jason is our pastor here at FEC Elgin. My name is Franklin Carr. I'm the youth minister here. Um, And Jason wasn't feeling too great this week, and so um, I'm filling in for him this morning. He sent me his notes on what the Holy Spirit uh, conveyed to him um, that we'll be talking about this morning, and I'm going to do my best to teach those um, without messing it up. So before we begin and dive into Colossians 3, I'd love to pray for us as we open up real quick in this time. So uh, if you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, let's talk to the Lord real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to gather. What a blessing it is to be able to gather and not, not face heavy persecution like so many people do on the other side of the world. God, thank you for... Uh, just this body of believers, this family here, God. And thank you just for your love, for your constant patience towards us. And God, today as we talk about patience, Lord, I pray that we would be challenged uh, because this, this time is nothing if our hearts aren't challenged, if we're not uh, somehow stirred up in our souls by your spirit. So God, I pray that you would use this time to challenge us. And Lord, I pray that you take any words that are my own, I pray you would take them out, at least for this, this next half hour. Um, and God, I pray that uh, you would do the teaching, God. Would you take hold of my tongue? Would you take control? And Lord, I pray that you just be with us in this time. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your copies of God's Word, or if you have it on your smartphone, or if uh, you want to use one of the ones in the pews, um, we're going to be in Colossians 3. Uh, This morning, we are continuing our series, Putting on Your New Self, which we've been going over the past few weeks. So we started this series in Ephesians 4. We talked about the things uh, we need to be putting off. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he actually has the same same kind of theme going on with the Colossians, with with the Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, he's telling us what we need to put off as far as our, our sinful nature, our old self, what we need to die to. And then in Colossians 3, he's talking about the things we need to put on. How do we put on the new self that looks like the image of Christ? So we're going to be in Colossians 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Uh, This is my own personal Bible I brought. Uh, I just thought I'd shake things up a little bit. And so whatever copy of God's Word you have is wonderful. Use it. That can be CSB, NIV, The Message, whatever you use. Um, it's, it's great. Um, and so please don't feel like there is, there's a proper translation we need to be going through. So I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to verse 12. And this is Paul writing to the Colossians, and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly that is in you, that is sexual immorality, impurity, passion. By passion, he means lust. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked, When you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew nor Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, But Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, this is our main verse. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, which is our topic from last week, and today, patience. Patience. So today we're talking about patience. And uh, real quick, I want us to look at what is patience? What does Paul mean when he says patience? And first I want to give a little bit of background. So there's actually two words that are used for patience in the New Testament, in the Greek. So the first word, hupomeno, has to do with a patient and a steadfast perseverance in the situations and trials of life. And it, and it appears 33 times in the New Testament, and it's a great word, and it's super important to be patient in the trials and tribulations of life, but that's actually not what we're talking about today, because that's not the word that Paul uses. You see, the, Paul, the word Paul uses, the second word, it's actually uh, two different words in Greek that are fused together. It's a compound word, for those of you who... Uh, you know, English, right? Uh, it's a compound word. <laughs> I, I, all the women in my family have been English teachers, and so it's just a habit, sorry. Um, and unlike the first word that was just described, uh, this word, the second word, actually talks about a self-sacrificial love that we extend to people. So the first word was all about situations. The second word is all about people. And honestly, I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but for me, I have a harder time being patient with people than I do with situations. Because, I mean, we can be patient under trials and tribulations, and that's hard enough, right? But being patient with people in the midst of those situations, or even outside of those circumstances, maybe when people are just rude, or just difficult, or just, uh, they can't quite seem to get across what we're trying to say to them, but maybe sometimes that's our problem, Right? People are a lot more difficult to be patient with than situations. Why? Because situations can't talk back to you. People can talk back to you. Situations cannot, right? And you cannot control, you can't control situations, but you for sure can't control how people are going to react when you speak to them, right? And so we're looking at that this morning. That's the word Paul uses. In fact, the compound word I was talking about is macrothumeo, which literally translates to long or extended wrath. So that's different, right? So we talked about how meekness last week is uh, bridled strength, right? This is long wrath, and it literally means to go for a long amount of time before being provoked to wrath or to anger. It means there's an extension on that ticking time bomb in our, in our you know, minds, right? And so a lot of times we want to just react like, bah, bah, you know, like people make us upset. A lot of times, at least for myself, I struggle with this, when people say something rude to me, my first reaction is I want to say something back, right? But this word, that, that puts an extension on that time period in which we react, right? It's a long-suffering love that's extended towards others in our lives. Long-suffering, that doesn't sound fun either. It means you're going to suffer for a while under this kind of patience. Like, like, come on, Paul, help us out, brother. Like, this is not fun, it's supposed to be difficult, and that's why he talks about it. And so the first thing that I want to, us all to understand is that God is incredibly patient, that is, long-suffering, hypothumeo, in his love towards us, right? And we see this in all the Old Testament, right? First uh, Peter 3.20, uh, Peter is actually talking about how God, um, in, the, in the time of Noah, and just in the Old Testament in general, we see God's patience is constantly waiting. His long-suffering is constantly there. 
You read the Old Testament, you see how many times people spit in God's face and they say, hey, we're going to go chase these idols for a little bit. Hey, we're going to go hang out with these nations for a little bit because they seem cooler. They have a king, right? We see God is so incredibly patient and he's so patient with difficult people. And when I say difficult people, I don't just mean the Israelites. I'm also talking about us, right? We are difficult people. I, t- I told my students this uh, this past Wednesday at Thrive, which is our Wednesday night service for the youth. We, uh, I, we were talking about um, just, just how God, in the entirety of the Bible, is constantly reaching out in love towards a people that have commitment issues, right? The entire Bible is a story of a God who's madly in love with a humanity that is constantly on and off again with him, Right? And even when we haven't deserved it, he's still been consistent in his patience and his love for us, and it, which, which is nuts to me because as humans, our patience kind of wears thin. A lot of times it's three strikes and you're out. And that can be with our friends. That can be with our family, parents in the room, your children, right? Three strikes and you're out. But that's not how God is. In Romans 1, Paul actually even talks about God's Wrath. And actually, there are times when God, specifically what, what Paul's talking about here, is there's this anti-God culture, and God allows them to be handed over to their evil desires. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, if I could phrase it in the best way possible, as something my dad would say, is it always comes back to bite you in the butt. Apologies for using that word in church, but, you know, that's the best way to say it. Your sin is always going to come back to bite you. And so God will hand us over to our sin. But even then, even if there's been a distance that's been created by us, never by God, because we choose to walk in sin, we create that distance, whether that's some sort of block in our head or it's a, it's a, heart, a heart issue, right? We're the ones creating that distance. But even in that distance, God gives us an opportunity to repent. There's always an open door to repentance and grace, no matter how far in we may be. There's always that opportunity. Why doesn't he completely, you know, completely obliterate the evildoer? Go, pew, you know, like you're done. Why doesn't he do that? It's because he has a long-suffering patience towards us. God is long-suffering in his patience towards us. And the second point, guys, is that because God is patient with us, because he's long-suffering for us, because he has this, this love that is selfless, and expressed and extended towards us, we must be patient in our love for one another. Yikes, right? That is a hard thing to do. But the thing is, Colossians 3.12 and Ephesians 4, um, both call us to this. And I have Ephesians 4. I should have it pulled up on the screen. See, there you go. Uh, so we just read Colossians 3.12. Ephesians 4.2 says the same thing. Paul is repeating these ideas uh, to both of these churches, the church in Colossae, the church in Ephesus, right? Why is this so important? Why does he call us to be patient with one another? Because a farsighted love, and I'm taking this straight from Jason's notes because this was too good to leave out. Uh, because farsighted love overlooks nearsighted hurt. Farsighted love overlooks nearsighted hurt. What does that mean? What does that mean? So first I want us to look at nearsighted hurt, right? Nearsighted hurt is something that's directly in front of us, right? Easier to see. Why? Because it's like right there. And when people hurt us, who's the first person we're thinking of? Us, right? 
We're not thinking about those other people. We're not thinking about the fact that maybe they're struggling too. And their reactions are actually the result of either an upbringing or a situation or something that's outside of our sphere of knowledge, right? Farsighted love is a love that we're meant to have for people. We're not meant to be nearsighted in our love. You can't just love your inner circle. You can't just love the people who love you. You can't just love your family. You can't just love your friends. Why? Because Jesus tells us in Luke 6, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to only to the people who do good to you, what benefit is that? Because even sinners do the same. Anyone can be nice to people who are nice to them. That takes absolutely no effort at all. You know what does require effort? Be nice to the people who are hard to love. Nothing good is easy. Ever. And nothing that God challenges us with is ever easy either, right? And that's why he calls us to it, right? Anyone can love the people who are easy to love. But that's nearsighted love. We're called to be farsighted in our love. And you may be even asking, like, well, how do we maintain that farsighted love? What does it look like to maintain that farsighted love? Or what's a better understanding we can have? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 Paul actually literally tells us that love is patient, that is long-suffering. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people, right? It's not going to speak illy of people, no matter how they treat you. It's not self-seeking. The very definition of this long-suffering, hypothumeo, love, is selfless, right? So love is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It's not three strikes and you're out. It keeps going. When Peter asked how many times do I need to be forgiving my brother, what did Jesus say? 70 times seven. Traditionally, the expected amount was actually seven times. Jesus says 70 times seven. It's more than you can count. More than you can even keep track of. And there's a reason for that. And it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices for the truth. How many of you like it when people get theirs. Ours, man. Yeah. Honestly. Like, we love when people who wrong us or wrong people that we care about get theirs in the long run, right? Because it's justice. Or because they deserve it, right? They had it coming. But love isn't seeking after those things. A patient, far-sighted love is not seeking after those things. It's not consumed with those things. And the thing is, I'm talking about people right now. The thing is, a patient, long-suffering love isn't just meant for our human interactions. And the third point says this, because God is patient with us, we also must be patient in our love for him. And uh, for some reason, I'm completely convinced that this is more difficult than dealing with the people around us. It's really easy for us to say that we're really patient with God, but if we're being completely honest, I don't think we are. We have to be patient. I love him. Why? Because Romans 8.28 tells us that he's working all things out for our good. Because we've been called according to his purpose. He's working all things out. And so even when you don't understand what he's doing, maybe he's not meeting your expectations, you need to remember he's 
working all things for your good, for your benefit. That doesn't mean prosperity, not material prosperity at least. But he's working for your good. Why? Because he loves you. And uh, a, lot of th- a lot of the time we don't see that. Um, a lot of time, actually, in this life, in this side of heaven, right, this side of eternity, we see God as pretty difficult to work with, right? And why is that? And this hit me like a truck. Um, Holy Spirit just, oh, bro. Uh, it was hard uh, writing this down. But the thing is, the only time God is seeming difficult to work with is because usually we ourselves are placing a holy, sovereign, uncontainable God underneath selfish, small, human expectations. Yikes. Like, oh my gosh. And and we, we treat him so much like a genie, even without thinking about it. I think subconsciously, sometimes we think that God needs to be constantly working on our timetable. He needs to be constantly working with our expectations. This person's sick. He needs to heal them stat, right? I lost my job. He needs to come through immediately, right? We lose patience with God. But the reality is, God's not the one being difficult. We're the ones being difficult. And instead of treating him like our butler, who's supposed to serve us and cater to our every whim, Right? We need to let him be God. We need to let him be sovereign. Right? We need to, as Jason has talked about multiple times, we need to get off the throne. We need to get off the throne and surrender control because the only way you're ever going to have peace of mind in this side of eternity is by surrendering control. And I don't know about you, but I think it's certainly better for us to surrender that control to a sovereign God of the universe who knows past, present, and future who's literally writing our stories, knows your purpose in life, each and every single second that you breathe, I'd rather him have control than me and my limited knowledge. Because I can only see what's ahead. We're nearsighted, right? God can see all things. He's sovereign. We need to let him be sovereign in our lives. We need to be patient with him. The only way that's going to happen is by remembering that he's God and we aren't. And so how do, we, how do we look at this patience? How do we look at this long-suffering love? How do we look at this hypothemeo? And how do we apply it? Well, the first thing is we need to be examining our hearts. We need to examine our hearts. How do you respond? And there's actually these questions real quick. As far as it pertains to people in your life, how do you respond to people or to God when your plans are interrupted? What do you do when someone shows up and they said, hey, got kicked out of my house. I need to camp out here for a few months. How do you respond? Or you have a family member who's sick and they need to be taken in. You have no clue how you're going to even be able to do that because you don't have enough space. You don't have the time. You don't have the resources. How do you respond to them? How do you respond when Maybe you get T-boned on 290. It's the person who T-boned you, right? Do you yell at them? You say, you really inconvenience me, right? How do you respond to people when your plans are interrupted? Second question is, how do I respond when other people get underneath my skin? So, 
there's one particular person in my life who knows how to get under my skin better than anyone I've ever met, uh, and it's my little brother. And I'm using this example simply because it's, it's probably the most, this is one of the most convicting questions for me personally, and I understand it's a sibling thing, they're going to bother you, but I know for a fact, looking at this question, right, when other people get under my skin, when Michael would get under my skin as a small child, I used to punch him in the arm, right, and we would start, you know, bah, 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 going back and forth. Uh, not quite the best response. Now that we're older, it, it tends to be words, right? How do I respond when people get under my skin, right? And it may not be a sibling. It could be a spouse. How do you respond when your spouse gets under your skin? When they bother you, right? Do you, do you say things that are hurtful? Or do you respond calmly and say, hey, can we talk about this? Or a coworker or a friend? Or what if they just do something that really just, just bugs you? Maybe they're talking behind your back. I don't know. Do you lash out? Or do you try to have a conversation with them? You try to address it. Maybe get to the heart of the issue. Maybe just ask them, hey, can I understand why you're saying these things? Can I understand why you're doing these things? Because it really hurt me. You can't control their response, but you can for sure control yours. And the third question, how do I respond when things don't happen according to my timeline? This has to do with people. This also really has to do with our patience towards God. How do we respond when things don't happen according to our timeline? How do we respond when this person in our family unexpectedly passes away? How do we respond to people in that situation? Because a lot of times when we're going through grief, a lot of times we come from a place of, you don't understand what I'm going through. Don't try to talk to me. Don't try to comfort me, right? I'm going to lash out at you. Or I'm going to cough up an attitude. What about towards God, right? What if unexpectedly we get laid off our job? Or maybe we can't send our kids to college. How do you respond to people in those situations, right? Do you point your finger at them? Do you point your finger at God? Say, God, you're the one doing this. You're to blame. You're supposed to be doing things like I want? Or do you respond patiently with peace and let God take care of it? Examine your hearts. Ask yourself these questions this week. Second application point. We need to remember what God has done for us. I think uh, when it comes to God's patience with us, right? Because if we focus on God's patience with us, Hopefully, that'll drive us to be more patient with him and with people. And the most beautiful, perfect example of God's patience that I can possibly think of is his son nailed to a hunk of wood for the sins of humanity. Because for a while, I'm pretty sure humanity was waiting for that ticking time bomb of God's wrath to go off, right? And what did God do? He cut the red wire. He sent Jesus to say, hey, hey, you're not going to get obliterated. But actually, I'm inviting you into my family. I'm not just inviting you into my family, but I'm also wiping your slate clean. The thing that was going to separate you from me in the beginning is gone. 
And that's patience right there because, oh my gosh, I, I tell the students a lot, uh, anytime you sin, it's like slapping God in the face. You're slapping God in the face anytime you sin. And so for God to sit there and be like, hey, it's like you did nothing wrong. I forgive you. I'm inviting you into my family, even though we still continually slap him in the face. For him to respond in love, for him to respond in that long-suffering patience, that speaks volumes. We need to remember what he's done for us because that, in turn, should drive how we respond to others. And that's going to give us far-sighted love. And that's actually the third application point, which is choose to be far-sighted in your love. Don't just love the people who are easy to love. Love the people in your life who are difficult to love. And I'm pretty sure there are people coming to mind right now who are difficult to love. I hope so. <laughs> if not, you're doing great. Uh, but I feel like we all have people in our lives who are difficult to love at some point in time, right? We're called to love difficult people. Because we're difficult people and God has loved difficult people, as Christians who are already accepted into the family of God, who are, as humans who are created in the image of God, we're called to reflect the image of God. And that means reflecting his patience and his love. And while this world tells us, there's, there's a growing trend, especially... Um, social media culture, uh, there's a growing trend of cutting out toxic people who wrong us. Who wrong us. Like if someone says something, one thing that's bad about you, you block them on Facebook or Instagram. Like, done. Right? What did Jesus do? Because he was surrounded with toxic people. In fact, he called toxic people to be his disciples. Fishermen who cussed up a storm, probably. Tax collectors who cheated and swindled people. Part of the crowds, some of the most influential women in Jesus' ministry were former prostitutes. We're called to respond in love just as Jesus did. We're called to pray for the people who wrong us. And what did Jesus do on the cross? They say, Lord, Strike them with lightning because they're being idiots? No, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Jesus prayed for the grace and forgiveness of difficult people, and we're called to do the same. Pray for them. So guys, I'm actually about to close this out. Uh, But as I close this out, I want you to just bow your heads in prayer real quick. As we do this, I want you to just think about the people in your life who may be difficult to love. And maybe it's God. But if it's people, if it's humans, I want you to take the time right now, ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you give me the strength to extend that far-sighted love to so-and-so? Would you give me the strength, would you give me the patience to extend that far-sighted love to that person in my life who's difficult to love? that person who's really getting under my skin, or that person who's become an inconvenience? Would you give me that grace? Would you give me that patience? Would you give me that love? And for those of you where maybe you're struggling to be patient with God, I would just ask you to surrender to him right now. I, I would just ask you to ask him. Say, God, God, would you be sovereign again in my life? Would you take the throne back? Whatever that may look like. Would it help me to be patient with you? Let me be patient with others as a result. God, we love you. We thank you for 
this time that we've had. God, thank you that you're a God who is long-suffering, a God who is patient with us, a God who constantly, constantly extends grace and love and mercy to people who don't deserve it. And God, I pray that we would be willing to do the same for others. And God, when you don't meet our expectations that we set for you for some reason, I pray that we would also extend that patience and love towards you back. So God, I love you. Thank you for my friends here. Thank you for this time. Would you please be with us as we go out into the week? In your name pray. Amen.